vaccine and economic data uh, in that order. And I think politics will reign supreme over the, uh, the lead-up to the US election. So, um, and then news on vaccine second, followed by data on the economy. Toby, always good to talk to you. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, Head of Global Markets at Societe Generale Australia. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in Australia right now, the ASX 200 is up just over 1%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is rising about a third of a percent. Over in South Korea at the open, the Cosby is up about uh, two-thirds of a percent. And looks like the Hang Seng is going to add about 100 points at the open. Thank you very much for listening this week. Do have a great weekend. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Hugh Chiverton and Danny Gittings in just a moment. The weather forecast for today, sunny periods, maximum temperature of about 31 degrees. And the outlook is it's going to be windy with a few showers over the weekend. More showers early next week. The temperature right now, 28 degrees, and it's 74% relative humidity. It's 8.31. Here's Samantha Butler with the Half Hour News. The Consumer Council is urging the two supermarket chains to offer more discounts to the public as their business has been booming during the pandemic. Park and Shop and Welcome have announced cash coupons to be given to low-income households as well as a multi-million dollar discount plan for the general public. Park and Shop also says it'll hold a lucky draw for cash vouchers. It said the government had rejected its proposal to give discounts to all customers. Despite this, the consumer watchdog isn't satisfied. Here's its chief executive, Gilly Wong. They should be able to offer much more discount to the public for a certain period of time, like three to six months, as a reasonable discount for every purchase. So it is very direct to the consumers because they can't compare every single item, but how much you know they can save from every bill is very perceivable. So what we believe is you know, this is exactly what supermarkets should do. New scientific analysis of the wildfires that have raged across the state of California this summer has revealed that climate change has had a marked effect on the impact and scale of the blazes. Researchers have found that the increasingly hot and dry conditions experienced in the state played a pervasive role. Here's the BBC's Matt McGrath. This new review of more than 100 research papers says that the scale and impact of the fires seen in California are being driven mainly by rising temperatures. The western U.S. is now fundamentally more exposed to fire risks than it was before humans started altering the climate, the authors say. Many people built homes in forested parts of the region, believing they were safe from fire because none had occurred there previously. But climate change has altered this outlook, say scientists, and the past is no longer a reliable guide to the future. Republican leaders in the U.S. Congress say there'll be an orderly transfer of power should President Trump lose November's election. The president appeared to cast doubt on the transition on Wednesday, again raising questions about the probity of the vote, with so many ballots likely to be cast by mail. But the Republican leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, said there'd be an orderly, peaceful handover in January. Democratic senators, including the minority leader Chuck Schumer, accused Mr. Trump of trying to destroy American democracy. The peaceful transfer of power is one of democracy's core attributes. There is no democracy without it. And like the rule of law, the separation of powers checks and balances everything we have learned that is great and noble about our system and government. President Trump has sullied, diminished, and now he threatens to actually dismantle. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chewitt and your co-host today, Danny Gittings. Danny, good morning to you. Good morning. Today, a Liberal Studies, a task force reviewing the local school curriculum, is calling for a major overhaul of the subject, including stripping out discussion of current affairs before the government decides whether it should be kept as a core subject for secondary students. In a report submitted to the Bureau Education Bureau on Tuesday, the group said major changes are needed to address controversies surrounding the subject. The task force cited allegations the subject was responsible for the violent and radical behaviour of some youngsters in the recent social unrest and that teachers had abused the subject as a platform to put forward their own political views. Is it fair to blame Liberal Studies for radicalising youngsters? Do you agree with the report that ongoing events are not suitable for class debate as it's difficult to engage in, quote, impartial and evidence-based discussions? Or is tackling current affairs a key part of 21st century education? And should Liberal Studies remain mandatory? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us. And our telephone number is 233 233-88266. That's the number to call. Our guest for the first half of the show, we have uh, Dr. John Cha- uh, Dr. John Tan, who's a former and first uh, Chief Curriculum Development Officer in Liberal Studies at the Education Bureau. And we're also joined by Joe Hoy. Joe Hoy is a lecturer at the Department of Educational Policy and Leadership at Hong Kong Education University. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. Good morning. Uh, Dr. Tan, let's go to you first. <clears throat> uh, what, what do you make of the uh, task force recommendations? I mean, they've been criticised by uh, some uh, pro-establishment politicians as not going far enough. Well, I think the task force largely has tried to maintain the middle-of-the-road um, approach towards these controversial decisions, uh, which I think uh, opened up some new dimensions in curriculum development, for example, by cutting out or converting part of the curriculum, namely the um, independent inquiry studies of liberal studies into an optional elective component as a strategy for catering for learner diversity. So this is the first time in my memory that uh, um, uh, changing a compulsory part of the curriculum into an optional part as a strategy for catering for that diversity, which I think makes sense for some schools uh, that are struggling to keep the interest of um, some of their students in engaging in this this uh, um, inquiry part of the of the subject. Okay, but um, it, it, do, you, do you think the task force? Is, I know it's early days yet, but there's a lot of pressure to go much further on liberal studies, and um, a lot of pro-government people are saying that they're, they're very disappointed the task force didn't actually recommend that uh, it ceased to be a compulsory subject. Do, 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 do you think there is a possibility that we're actually still going to see more more sweeping changes? If there is such a day, there's one day where liberal studies uh, will no longer be a compulsory subject. I would like to see. This is what I said more than 10 years ago, when, when we arrived at that day where the most important learning objectives, the aims of liberal studies can be carried out in other senior secondary subjects, then maybe that's the day that liberal studies can bow out of the scene. But that day hasn't arrived yet. So um, I think the arguments of the task force uh, behind the recommendation of keeping it as a, as a compulsory subject is very sound. Um, pedagogically, I think the elective um, uh, um, nature of the future IES will create some logistical 
problems for the actual administration in, in, in the school because we are in the same class. You have some people taking this elective, but others uh, who are not taking. So how do teachers handle that? Uh, pedagogically, the mature issue um, definition will be problematic. If you remove, if you did it without independent study, if you did it without discussion of current affairs, as the task force is suggesting, is that still liberal studies? For the first issue, independent studies, I am a bit worried uh, because IES at the outset was the unique part, as, as stated in the curriculum and assessment guide, is an integral part of the curriculum. And it is very reasonable to guess that um, uh, back 15 years ago, the universities accepted this subject as uh, one of the 3322 requirements for admission was largely or, or significantly related to the IES component. Now you have that part out, um, no longer integral part. Will this lay um, uh, uh, an argument in future um, to remove this as part of the university requirement, admission requirements, especially when the other curriculum objectives can increasingly be, 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 be achieved or taught and attained through other subjects. That's the first part. Mature issues. I can see from that paragraph in the, in the report that there are five um, factors related to the definition of whether an issue for inquiry is mature or not. Out of these five, I, I agree with some, but I do not tend to agree with others. For example, the first one, hindsight. Immature issues would lead to students uh, without uh, teachers without the benefit of hindsight, but constructing knowledge through inquiry into contemporary issues is the first broad learning, learning outcome of the, of the liberal study subjects according to the curriculum guide. So with contemporary issues, we are bound without uh, hindsight all, uh, all the time. So it's this limitation of not having hindsight, but yet to analyze and to make some provisional conclusion. And these conclusions can be revised as the issue develops. So, uh, Otherwise it's just history, yes. isn't it? Otherwise you're just looking at things which are done and dusted. Yeah. And this is related to um, a second factor, controversial issues. Very controversial issues should be avoided. Now, controversial doesn't mean it's immature. And mature issues... Uh, are not always uh, uncontroversial. Abortion is controversial, but it has been discussed in society, for example, in American society for such a long time. Contemporary issues um, can be controversial, but, but uh, very controversial doesn't mean it's always contemporary. So I think uh, we do not need to um, deliberately focus on controversial issues. But if the controversial issues um, allow, I think the more important factor is allow inquiry from multiple perspectives. There, there is enough evidence, enough materials um, from multiple perspectives for the students and teachers to undergo this inquiry, then even if it's controversial, uh, it's it worth studying. Sorry, so, so what, what are you saying is, where are you agreeing with the, with the report uh, in, in that respect? What are you saying does make a, a, a subject uh, not suitable for study as part of liberal studies? I think out of the five factors, yes. hindsight, um, reliability, objectivity of data and information gathered, and um, 
ability to inquire from multiple perspectives, um, controversial, the, con- the controversial nature of the issue, and finally, the, uh, appre- the ability to appreciate the complexities of consideration of issue. Out of these five, I think the, the multiple perspective possibility is the strongest one. Others, I think, especially um, objectivity and reliability of data, that's exactly one of the skills uh, objectives that we try to achieve. If the data presented uh, can be taught and learned by the students that to co- arrive at a conclusion that it, this is not objective enough, the data is not re- reliable enough, it, the process itself is already worth um, going through in the classroom. Okay, we're, all, we're also joined by uh, Joe Hoy. Joe Hoy is a lecturer at the Department of Educational Policy and Leadership at Hong Kong Edu- Education University. Uh, good morning, Mr. Hoy. Welcome good to morning. Back Chat. Um, what do you make of the task force report? Well, uh, I think generally I agree with the suggestion and recommendation of the task force report. But some of the points I just want to share the views of Dr. Chen on about the controversial issue. Uh, in past reports, uh, I'm afraid I do not agree with their views that the new, newly emerging issues are not suitable for inquiry. Uh, because we all cannot escape for the issues happening in our society, uh, students will ask for the views to help them to know more about the issue. So I think uh, it could be more even dangerous if they don't have a proper way to share their views uh, with others. Uh, in this sense, I think uh, the liberal studies is providing this space for students and teachers to exchange their ideas. So uh, I'm afraid that I don't agree with their views that the newly emerging issues are not suitable for uh, inquiry. I think uh, we need to give students a chance uh, to share the current affairs with the teachers. But don't you, I mean, you, you think about what happened last year where there was actually conflict in the classrooms and uh, some students were, were claiming they, they felt rather scared because of um, a fa- fairly aggressive behaviour at, at the time of the protest that um, in the current climate uh, there's an argument for keeping uh, issues that might actually lead to divisions and even in the worst case violence out of the classrooms. Uh, well, exactly. Uh, students will also ask because this is so a large-scale protest on the street. Uh, in the classroom, I think the teachers need to address some important issues to the students. And I think LS uh, has this kind of... Uh, the teachers have this kind of responsibility to students in analyzing their views and before they're making any conclusion. Uh, for the uh, large-scale protest, uh, especially for the last year's uh, uh, social unrest. But uh, I think uh, it's, uh, it's really unfair to blame LS and the LS teachers. Uh, it's not their responsibility uh, to, 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 to mobilize the students uh, to go onto the street. It's all about the government's failure. It's not about the teachers. Uh, the teaching in the liberal studies classroom. Yeah, I, I, but I understand that, but I put it the, the other way around to suggest that when people are on the streets and when there were credible stories in many schools last year of um, of children, who, of uh, police officers, for instance, being uh, victimised, that um, there might then be an argument that you don't want to intensify things further in the classroom by discussing these kind of issues. Uh, but 
take from discussing these kind of uh, issues in the in the school environment. Uh, all the students' action uh, last year, their reaction to the government's to the to the government's decision and the government's policy. It's not about it's not about education. It's not about the LS uh, subject teaching. It's all about the government's uh, reactions to their citizens. So I think it's also fair for the students to have a chance to discuss and to know more about the issues with their teachers. I think the teachers in Hong Kong, uh, they are they are doing very a good job in giving students different perspectives in this uh, this particular issue. Uh, so uh, I think. Uh, for example, some legislators, they blame the teachers. Uh, they have comment on the teachers, uh, question about the qualifications, question about the competence, and question about the teacher ethics. Uh, in my view, I think they only show the ignorance to the education. Can, can I jump in here? Yeah. With reference to your phrase that uh, um, uh, the teaching of liberal studies may intensify things in the classroom. Um, I think the discussion of controversial issues uh, does not necessarily intensify things in a kind of uh, towards violence manner because one of the important curriculum aims, although it's listed as a last, but is important, it is to help students develop positive values and attitude towards life. And if you're referring to the violence in the streets and trying to intensify things towards that direction in the classroom, that's against the curriculum aim. So, so um, I think the kind of um, intellectual uh, uh, discourse, the debates that we're having um, in the in the classroom of liberal studies, may lead to heated exchanges. But it's like a, a, an inter-school debate uh, competition. Um, and the second, uh, Professor Stephen Chu of Chinese University has done this uh, research back in. 2017, that is repeatedly uh, quoted, that uh, he found in his research that the teaching and the curriculum of liberal studies had relatively insignificant influence in, in fostering um, the political engagement of the young people today. So, yeah. I, mean, I mean, it is a feature of Hong Kong. It's something quite notable and noticeable in, in, in our society how politically engaged young people are. They're right at the front line. They were completely in the front line during those demonstrations. And you've got, uh, you've got Joshua Wong and, you know, scholasticism and, uh, and so on. Um, uh, you've got a movement of, of young people who are very, very politically engaged, more so than almost anywhere else in the world. What's going on there? Why is that happening? The classroom or schools are not the only source of influence on young people today. They probably are more, more mobilized, more influenced by the media, social media, the peers. So I think um, ed education alone cannot solve all the problems that you've just mentioned. But we have a duty as liberal studies teachers to maintain that baseline of positive values. You can disagree. But nonviolence is one one of the fundamental, universal, positive values that the liberal studies have to safeguard in the classroom. Yes, and and also uh, uh, in response to uh, Professor Stephen Chu's study in 2017, um, I think teachers are trying very hard to provide a balanced view to the students on on, the, on all the issues. And the most important finding of Professor Chu's study just. Uh, 
just like uh, Dr. Chen just mentioned as well, does not lose so significant in fostering young people's in political engagement by by learning and teaching in the uh, lab people studies. So I think uh, it's not about uh, what teachers and the students discussing in the classroom. It's about the whole uh, the society's environment to mobilize the students to go on to the protest or maybe sometimes they will they're facing some violence and to intensify uh, their views on the uh, current phase. So I think uh, Professor Chu's study, uh, the findings uh, prove that I think uh, teachers are trying very hard to providing some balanced views in order to give multiple perspectives to students to, uh, before they're making any conclusions. But, 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 but then you might say, well, if you look at you know Hong Kong education, to have a compulsory subject which is grappling with controversies uh, of the day, that's obviously got to play a part, surely, in, in uh, you know, you can call it engaging young people uh, or you can call it radicalising young people. Certainly there were a lot of radical actions that were going on. We've seen that. You know, maybe we need liberal studies to calm people down we need we need it to we need to talk about other issues uh, and that would be a, that would be a role for 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 liberal studies to diffuse some of the some of the tension in society joe hoy well i i'm quite confident uh, that our teachers in the classroom they are trying to uh actually i i think they were trying to uh, time down the students before they making any decisions on the street so uh because this is another angle to uh, for the students to uh, to to know more to know more about uh, the, the issues they are facing in the society. So uh, I think the teachers are doing a very good job, and we cannot blame the teachers have the to uh, uh, be responsibility to uh, in mobilizing the students. I don't think our teachers uh, will mobilize the students to go on to the protest. Now, in any school, any classroom, you're going to have um, different types of students. You're going to have um, uh, the students. Uh, last year, we saw splits in, in many schools between um, uh, stu students with sort of um, a, a, um, yellow and uh, pro-government -pro uh, views. But you also have uh, the other section of students who are not interested in current affairs and are, are very reluctant to express their own opinions. And perhaps even in an era of national security law, law feel that, um, uh, that it, it's dangerous to do so. I mean, how do you deal with that in um, in uh, in teaching liberal studies? I mean, in my kids' school, I mean, my kids enjoy liberal studies, but they say a, a, a lot of their classmates just don't want to engage with the subject. An assumption behind your last question and the kind of discussion we had in in the past ten minutes or so is that liberal studies is largely about the learning of these political controversial issues. I see they your are, point, but isn't it the problem is that it, it's perceived, and maybe the debate now about it contributes to that. I, I can understand you helped, you played an important role in developing it. You'll say it's much, much more about that. But um, when these issues do, kind of, do come into it, and when there's so much attention is attracted to it, isn't it inevitable that some, some students and their parents will what, see it that way? One of the reasons of this focus is because of a public examination. We had um, out-of-proportion representation of these issues in the early years of the past 10 years in the public examination papers, almost more than double than their representative proportion in the curriculum. Now, if we can go back to the, to the norm, not to um, highlight 
these uh, politically controversial issues just for the sake of making the paper more, um, more balanced. Uh, uh, yeah, to, to, to attract more attention or to make it uh, uh, really the, the talk of the town. Back to the curriculum. Uh, because liberal studies have been existing for 20 years before 2012 at the advanced supplementary level. And these issues of one country, two systems of, of, uh, were there. But there wasn't such uh, um, uh, uh, controversial debate in society back then. So I think we have to start with the public assessment. If we go back to a greater curriculum alignment, then the washback effect of, of the public exam in the classroom will be, we, we will just focus on these politically controversial issues. We should dedicate more time to the other important but less uh, uh, eye-catching issues as well in order to construct the knowledge represented in concepts in the curriculum which are now absent in the, in, in the curriculum guide. But by the way, what, what's the status of this, this report? Uh, who, who's on the task force? I can't see mention so of is the... It, is it, yes, there's, there's a list at the end. There is a list, is there? Okay. Uh, yeah, and is the, is the EDB bound to accept the uh, results? answer that they are they have official members in the, in the task force i think the issue is in practical terms they're not required to accept it but in practical terms will they or will they come under pressure that um the, these reforms don't go as far as uh, some people would want and by some people i mean people in senior figures in government and maybe not just the government in hong kong uh joe hi well uh, i think the report uh, uh generally i uh, i think it's fair enough, uh, especially they maintain the status of liberal studies in the Hong Kong DSC examination. Uh, but some of the uh, suggestions or recommendations uh, about the liberal studies, I, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm not very much agree. Uh, for example, the vetting of the uh, so-called textbook, because I think it's violating the original thinking on this subject. Uh, in the very beginning, EDB encouraged teachers to do their own materials instead of just use the published material prepared by the publishers. So uh, this kind of so-called advisory service make them be more uh, mandatory. Uh, well, it's already made those publications deleting some controversial or uh, some other content. Uh, for this part, I'm not very agree with. Well, yeah, that's, that's quite a good point, isn't it? Like, um, there was discussion of whether to use newspapers. Do you think newspapers should be used in, in liberal studies or should we just be sticking to the textbooks? I Go think uh, most of the teachers will use news, uh, news materials from different kinds of angles uh, to give the students and, uh, as uh -huh. materials as a, um, to, for, for discussion. I think uh, as a teacher we have to use that. But at the same time, teachers will need to give them some a solid foundation or solid theories on uh, providing different perspectives to the students when discussing these kind of news materials. D yeah, Dr. Tan, what do, you, what, what do you think? Should we uh, should we use newspapers? Because some people were saying we shouldn't use newspapers at all. You know, there are unverified facts uh, and so on. Well, there's fake news. I think newspapers. Le learning are... through contemporary issues is one of the key le uh, learning objectives of the subject, and the cycle of completing the writing, the vetting, etc., of a textbook usually takes three years. You can't really yeah. teach and learn liberal studies just rely on textbooks. The, the key is how to use newspaper articles that, in a way, 
that matches the curriculum aims of critical thinking, of detecting bias, reliability, and all that. So I think teachers' professional development in this aspect needs to be strengthened. Well, I was just going to say newspapers are widely used in uh, sort of English studies and things like that yeah, as well. Yeah, you can't avoid that. Yeah, so, um, that, uh, um, and you can use, the, I mean, my, my, my children's school, they use them to, you're, you're asked to pull out different viewpoints from uh, newspaper articles sort of for, for stakeholder views. Uh, I wonder if that sort of thing will continue in future. Yeah, using newspapers of different sources to, to provide the uh, needed uh, evidence from multiple perspectives. Okay, the, I mean, another sort of recommendation of the curriculum, we've only got a minute left, <laughs> it's a big subject, but but it talks a lot about values education. Uh, is this compatible? Uh, isn't liberal studies thinking for yourself and values education is about doing what you're told? <laughs> Just drop that in, Dr Tan. I'd actually mentioned that last curriculum aim already, positive values in, uh, in order to become uh, responsible citizens. I think because the public assessment, the examination in the past often didn't give much importance of this baseline, uh, positive values and attitude. So maybe in some schools, some teachers just focus on the knowledge and the skills uh, components of the curriculum in their teaching. But um, I've heard one um, suggestion that you can't really examine the students on values. Yes, you, you don't t take their stance on the values as a basis of giving them marks or not. Mm. But if the position uh, contravenes some basic universal uh, human values, um, then th that is something that we should consider. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, we're out of time. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us, Dr. John Tan, Thank the uh, uh, former and uh, first uh, Chief Dere uh, Curriculum Development Officer, and uh, Joe Hoy, lecturer at uh, the Education University. We're going to continue the discussion. We've got quite a lot of emails as well uh, to read out after the news. The weather first, sunny periods, temperatures up to 31 degrees today, 28 degrees at the moment. The relative humidity is now. Effect on Sunday. Trump officials fear the details of American TikTok users are being passed to Chinese authorities. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a uh, Friday morning with uh, Danny Gittings and me, Hugh Chibberton. We're talking about uh, liberal studies today. This is uh, after that uh, uh, report, that task force uh, uh, produced a report saying that uh, uh, liberal studies uh, did have a future, um, uh, didn't, uh, presumably as a, as a compulsory subject we were talking about, but it should be uh, shying away basically from, from current affairs uh, issues. Uh, we were talking about that in the first part of the programme. We, we will return to the uh, issue shortly. And, of course, we want to hear from you. Our telephone number is 233 is the number. We've got a, quite a few emails and uh, some on, on different uh, topics. Uh, a says, where's regular caller Mike? Uh, he seems to have disappeared. There's the Mike fan club uh, wanting to know where he's gone. Did he say, I think he said he was going to America? Mike, if you're listening, you've got, you've got, somebody's missing you, so you're welcome to call in. He does sort of come and go sometimes. Uh, 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 and uh, let's... Uh, you're trying okay. to find an email. No, well, as I mentioned, I uh, I now delete the. I only keep the uh, emails, uh, at least on the uh, main sort of RTHK server, uh, for a week. Uh, there were concerns after the national security legislation 
uh, was introduced um, of people sending in messages. So I did make that commitment. So I do delete them. I can't by no means guarantee that it's be comprehensively, you know, won't be able to access anywhere. But uh, I do my best to um, keep them for, for only a week. Uh, okay, uh, so yeah, well, I may not be able to refer easily to uh, uh, ones from a long time ago. Okay, here's one from Bowen. Uh, again, on uh, not today's topic, but one of interest. Uh, Bowen says, uh, with the subject line, Salami Slicing Judicial Independence. Holden Chow's recent rants against the judiciary at the beginning of the month and this Wednesday have put him in the forefront of a campaign to apply the famous salami tactics to undermine and ultimately neutralise judicial independence in Hong Kong. Listeners will know the term is commonly believed to have been coined by Hungarian Stalinist uh, dictator uh, Matthias Rokossi in the 1940s to describe how he had decimated his non-communist opponents by portraying them as fascists or fascist sympathisers, thus forcing them to slice off their right wing and then the centre, then most of their left wing, leaving only cohorts of the Communist Party to remain in power. By apparently focusing just on cases involving last year's anti-extradition protesters, insinuating that judges have been exhorted to take into account yellow ribbon sentiments and threatening to establish a panel to review sentencing guidelines, Holden Chow is seeking to put political pressure on judges presiding over those cases to return verdicts which meet with his camp's approval or run the gauntlet of being labelled yellow ribbon judges and facing institutionalised pressure in their work further down the road. If such tactics succeed this time, one can be sure they will be applied in other contexts. For example, the authorities' complaints about judicial review as the judicial salami is sliced off piece by piece. That his efforts are part of an orchestrated campaign can be seen in how the foundation underpinning his efforts has been laid by officials' renunciation of any separation of powers in Hong Kong, which means that all three branches are required to collaborate with each other to achieve the same goals. And in Henry Litton's South China Morning Post article, lambasting court decisions in numerous JR cases. That's from Bowen. Thank you. A couple of con contrasting emails on the issue of the recognition of journalists by the uh, police. Edward says uh, in a email titled policy change given by a department question mark the change in the government policy in designating what is or is not considered a journalist is a wide-ranging change that clearly has implications in the government's responsibility to uphold press freedom as required by the basic law what is most surprising about this change is that it appears to have been devised and announced by a department changing government policy is normally not the remit of departments as they have a junior function to the bureau that they report to. Bureaus have a much broader scope, connections and knowledge of policy that gives them the remit to better understand the implications of policy changes. It would appear we now have junior departments defining policy for the whole of the SAR. This sets a very concerning precedent and may indicate a breakdown in the governance structure of Hong Kong. P.S. It's quite likely that so many journalists turn up at protests to capture the ill discipline of the discipline for services, which has been fodder for the tabloids for quite some time. Perhaps if the policing of protests was more disciplined, reverting back to a quelling and dispersing strategy, rather than the escalating, there would be less salacious contact, content to detract all these journalists. There are ample laws to manage journalists interfering with police at protest sites. And a slightly different take on uh, the same topic from David. David says, 
After listening to all the explanations given by our local journalists on journalism on the on Thursday's show, for example, Chris Young from the Journalists Association, Tom Grundy from Hong Kong Free Press, Grace Leung from CUHK and Linda Lee from City U. After listening to all these explanations on what constitutes a real journalist and his her qualification requirements, I'm delighted to learn that from now on all RTHK backcheck commentators can call themselves journalists. We just need to negotiate our exact titles, such as senior journalist, editor of the political, economic or social justice section. Also, as all frequent commentated journalists are associated with RTHK, could we have some press cards, please? He signs himself, David, mildly frequent reporter for Backchat comment section. And one more uh, off-topic comment. This is from Andrew Kay, who says, On Joshua Wong... Predictable response to his arrest from this high school dropout and self-appointed activist. What we do without him while he is in jail. Perhaps you should be allowed to join his mate in the UK and save ourselves the cost of feeding him. That is from uh, Andrew Kay. We're now joined by uh, Colin Lai. Colin Lai is Executive Committee Member of the Hong Kong uh, Professional Teachers Union. Good morning, Mr Lai. Welcome to Backchat. Good morning. Uh, What do you you make of this uh, review report on uh, Liberal Studies? Yes, uh, lately we see that uh, the, uh, the the uh, commission for uh, reviewing the uh, the uh, uh, DSC curriculum has just released a report that there are some comments on the liberal studies. And uh, for most of the parts, of course, we know that uh, liberal studies has been a subject uh, that was introduced more than 10 years ago. So it's about time to have a review of the curriculum. But uh, we don't seem to agree with some of the suggestions here. We think that uh, those would be backfired. Okay, but this report could have been a lot more sweeping, couldn't it? I mean, uh, as you well know, I mean, Kerry Lamb has made critical comments about liberal studies. There are a lot of people on the uh, government side who'd like to see liberal studies turned into an elective subject that um, they they hope almost nobody would take. So this is pretty mild by comparison with what could have happened. Yes, actually we can see a lot of changes uh, uh, at the very infrastructure of the subject. So, for example, uh, most of the newspapers, the media has been focusing on what we call the uh, independence inquiry studies. We call it the IEF, which essentially asks every candidate to produce a research paper of about 4,000 words or so uh, on a subject, on a topic that uh, the student chooses to to research on. So we think that this is very important uh, in the new curriculum, uh, the new sex read curriculum since its introduction in 2009, because uh, we think that, well, when we go back to look at why we need to have the education reform in the first place back then, is that people have been criticizing Hong Kong students for failing to uh, uh, for failing to care for the society, for knowing nothing about the society. And they are too utilitarian by that time. So that's why they introduced the reform. But now the government is saying that, oh, you guys, you students are, or even teachers are too much obsessed with the politics, and so we need to cut that out. So, and, uh, and, and also we remember that in the, in the late colonial era, we actually say that most of the students are too much uh, concerned with their academic studies. They just they are just concerned with uh, having a good result, getting to the university, and they get a good job. All right, and so they didn't have a critical uh, mind. They didn't have critical thinking. So again, that's what the new uh, secondary curriculum introduced in 2009 has been trying to do. And the IES is one of the main. Uh, 
one of the main policies or measures put into the curriculum to train our students in terms of critical thinking and their inquiry skills. So, so I, I can't understand why they're cutting that out. Something's happened to young people, though. Some, as I say, people, young people in Hong Kong are, are really especially uh, radical uh, and especially uh, involved in in demonstrations and riots, uh, uh, even here as much or maybe even more than anywhere else in, in the world. So there is something going on. Uh, I guess, uh, well, I, I, I wouldn't judge on whether Hong Kong teenagers are especially uh, radical or violent. Uh, that's not up to me to, to, uh, to say. But I would say that, yes, uh, uh, well, you know, you have teenagers who are, you have teenagers who are kind of social leaders. Are you, I've, I've, you know, you don't see that anywhere else, and I can't think of anywhere else in the world. I mean, you get sort of people who lead on particular issues, Greta Thunberg, and think and things like that. But when it comes to sort of straight ahead politics, I don't know anywhere else in the world where teen what teenagers do and say carries so much weight. Yeah. So, for example, we see uh, we see young leaders like Nathan Law, right, yeah. Dr. Wong, and so on. We see a lot of young leaders coming out from the past few years. Yes, that's true. But whether we can really say that it's due to the liberal studies is highly doubtful. It's because uh, we remember that when, uh, when the national education uh, campaign back then, a, a, long, a long time ago, when Joshua Wong first made the political scene, she was only uh, getting into form four. He, he hasn't mm. actually uh, been taught with liberal studies. So whether or not there's a direct relation between liberal studies and the activism of our teenagers is highly uh, debatable. Well, what, what I want to say is that uh, today we see that the world is much more complicated, not only Hong Kong, but the whole world is more complicated. So can we just, well, uh, blindfold our students, blindfold our teenagers. So uh, we say that oh, you don't need to care about the society. You just do well in the exam and that would be okay. I don't think the world works like that. At liberal studies, we are not radicalizing the students as some people say. We are just asking the students to look at the world, look at the social issues around them so that they can have more understanding. And we provide them with the concepts, ideas and frameworks on how to look at these issues. Of course, the decision, the judgment is up to the students themselves, but they have to do it in today's world. I can't see there's a way out of it. Mr. Lai, do you teach liberal studies yourself? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, what is the mood among, I mean, I've heard stories about liberal studies teachers who are a bit worried about the future. I mean, if, um, if you have a, uh, which the report doesn't recommend, but it's still possible, you have a even more extreme scenario where uh, liberal studies is made an elective, um, a, um, a lot of liberal studies teachers are going to lose their jobs. And even in a less extreme scenario, some liberal studies teachers mu must wonder that uh, they're going to be under much tighter control about what they can teach in future. Yes, uh, these are two different questions are uh, addressed one by one. First of all, about what we call the right role of the liberal studies teacher, whether or not we are worried about our job. Now, of course, there are lots of liberal studies teachers in secondary schools now. So if, uh, if the government is really turning the uh, liberal studies from a core subject into an elective subject, of course, a lot of them will, be, will lose their jobs. So that's something that we need to worry about, of course. But I think the most important problem 
is uh, is the tightening of control over the curriculum of uh, over the curriculum of liberal studies that's more important. Uh, we can see that uh, not only uh, not only in terms of the curriculum, but the social atmosphere uh, in general has been scrutinizing every word that every uh, liberal studies teacher is saying or put on a worksheet. This is very unhealthy because it deprives us of the freedom and the room to uh, devise the best materials or worksheets for our students to learn. So this is something, of course, uh, we need to worry more about. And also about the curriculum, we can see that the government uh, in the report, uh, the report uh, that is sent to the government, is suggesting that there should be some uh, modifications in the way that liberal studies will, uh, should be taught. For example, it suggests that uh, recent issues should not be discussed because they're, because it's still uh, inconclusive, right? So they should not be discussed. I, I think this is rather ridiculous because we, we know that even for historical issues, they are sometimes uh, inconclusive or there could be a lot of different interpretations. So, so uh, I think the government, uh, what it's trying to do is to put more restrictions on what we can teach. And especially the best scenario for the government would be to maybe to, uh, to control the curriculum so that uh, they could control what we can teach and what the exam paper could, could ask. Uh, this is, of course, very unhealthy. Okay, some uh, some emails. George says, just listening to your program on liberal studies in school, the fact is this is all political and out of proportion. Education is a simple scapegoat of this government and its China-focused backers. Education and those that help our youth develop and grow are not responsible for how the youth reacted in the past 13-plus months. I think the youth of today get most of their influences and guided through social media, both in positive and many times negative ways. Having educators to be there to give perspective and balance in serious topics and discussion can only help the youth and society not be biased and allow for compromise and understanding. The government needs to take responsibility of how it handles their own decisions and find ways to really sort out the problem of our society. That would be a better way to fix some of the many problems we face here in Hong Kong. Education and our educators are not the problem. That comes uh, from George. Thank you for that. Uh, Jay says, years ago we had discipline in schools and pupils respected their teachers. Have we come to the situation now where students are more intelligent and have started to realise how brainwashed we have become with the media and lies in the system and the blinkers are now coming off to the real world? And then the thoughts are, how can we rectify it? But of course this does not fall well on those with power when you rock the boat. That comes uh, from Jay. Alan says, it's absurd to claim that liberal studies radicalised youth. The idea of a radical Hong Kong school teacher is actually pretty amusing. Where are the students testifying how their teachers brainwashed them to, come, to become child soldiers under the black flag, paid by the NDA and Jimmy Lai? This is one of the black hand bogeymen the government supporters wheel out, rather than even, even consider that Hong Kong people, young people in this case, can add up two and two themselves and conclude that Beijing is never going to give us a high degree of autonomy if we just wait for it. Liberal Studies teaches how to analyse and critique history and social issues. Xi's government will not tolerate that. So it's probably for the best that liberal studies just be cancelled entirely, as the only form that will be sanctioned is one where students learn how to glorify the CCP and whatever their policies are this week. 
The result will be a, uh, a few become loyal ideologues. Most learn to pretend to be that. Some really do become radical opposition and decide only violence is the answer. That is uh, from Alan. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, and uh, Tom says, supporters of liberal studies will say we are only giving them knowledge of conflict in the world and the students can make up their minds by themselves. But another observation would be that in reality, students could just stand up and leave school that many claim to hate and there's nothing their teachers and parents could do about it. But they don't do that because we all tend to follow the guidance of the people around us without even thinking about it. Uh, that comes uh, from Tom. Thanks for that. Uh, and Colin Lai, how about that point that our listener Alan was making in the email read out just now? Say he, he was suggesting that uh, if liberal studies is uh, going to be so restricted in future, it's better to abolish it altogether. Of course, I know you don't want to abolish it, but can you imagine a point if the government imposed more and more restrictions on liberal studies that you and some other teachers might say it's better to abolish it than have such a restricted subject? Yes, uh, that is actually, uh, of course, this is a point of concern for us. Uh, is especially in the report, you will, you will see that one suggestion in the report is that there should be more so-called collaboration between the Education Bureau, the EDB, and the Exam Authority, the EAA. Now, we, we know that uh, the EAA, the Exam Authority, has been set up as a statutory body and is, that has autonomy from the EDB which is exactly to avoid a situation like that, because exams should be exam, all right? Uh, the EDB uh, is the department of the government. They have their own political concerns, but the examination be a standalone exam. It should, be, it should enjoy autonomy from the political concerns of the government. So that was the structure that we used to have. Until now, the report is saying that, ah, oh, maybe the EDB should get interfere into the setting of the question uh, of the questions or in the exam, I think this uh, well, it's easy to see the intention here is to uh, control how the questions are being asked and so on, and so so that if there are certain what we call sensitive issues would uh, disappear from the examination paper, then probably the school teachers would not spend time. Uh, talking about those issues because they will not be in the exam. So I think the, we are worried that uh, there would be such a trend. Also, uh, as what we have just said, there are lots of things that the government wants to control the curriculum, for example, the setting of the textbook and so on. Uh, well, I, I still want to go back to, to the origin of all these, is that we are saying that the world is evolving very quickly, and our students, our teenagers, they need to know about what's happening around them so that they can, they can contribute to the future, right? The government is going backwards by saying that, oh, uh, the teenagers don't need to know so many things about the society around us. They just need to study. Is that the way to go? I think the government and those criticizing studies need to ask themselves questions. Mr. Lai, I must ask, why are teachers always so suspicious, like, suspicious of the EDB? I mean, you're Chris, I'm just, I don't think I've ever heard a school teacher in Hong Kong ever say anything positive about the EDB. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, actually, actually, uh, we used to have a very harmonious, or, or well, I shouldn't say harmonious, a good relationship between the teaching professor and the EDB, actually. I myself have been teaching liberal studies for many years, and I have 
I have uh, uh, helped the EDP and the exam authorities to hold a lot of workshops and talks uh, because we really believe in the subject. We believe that liberal studies is a good subject for our teenagers. It's the way to go. So we are willing to give up our time and, and effort to help the government, the exam authority, to make the subject better. But now, in turn, the government is criticizing us for being too political and things like that. I think it's totally unfair, and it, uh, and it actually has broken the, the, the trust between the two sides, which is not good, of course. And this is not just about liberal studies, is, is it? I mean, you hear a torrent of criticism from schools about the EDB these days. Yes, yes, indeed. So uh, the government and uh, the, the, the pro-government faction of the politicians have been criticising teachers for a while now, not only liberal studies teacher, but they are criticising all kinds of teachers. Uh, no, I, I think we, we as teachers, we just want a peaceful environment to teach our kids. This is what we enjoy. We, we know that, of course, uh, well, teachers are, teachers are, uh, uh, we, we uh, accept a, a stable salary, which is one of the reasons why people want to become teachers. But more importantly, we know that, everybody knows that today being a teacher has a lot of work. We have to work over 12 hours a day, maybe six to seven days a week. So why are we still staying in this profession? It's certainly... Uh, the, the salary is just part, a uh, very small part uh, of the reason. Is, but uh, because, yes. Sorry, are liberal studies teachers still staying in the profession? Have have any of your colleagues quit? You, well, of course, some teachers do do leave it every every year. Do you think there's a higher exodus from liberal studies than from other other teach, other people teaching other subjects, or do you worry that will happen in future? Actually, for the past few years, yes, more and more people are quitting the teaching profession, let alone uh, liberal studies. There are, uh, well, if you ask many of the mm. uh, board of directors of schools, they it's would a big problem, say, isn't it? Yes. That, yes, it's a difficult, uh, it's very difficult to hire even principals, so you can imagine the situation. And within teaching itself, do you, do you worry that some teachers will cho- choose to leave liberal studies and go off and specialise in another subject where there, are restri- there may be f- fewer restrictions or also le- less controversy? Oh, that's not for us to say because uh, what we teach is designed by the, by the principal. So we can just uh, act according to the instructions of the school. But no. I'm worried that uh, there will be fewer and fewer liberal studies, uh, for example, the studying liberal studies in the university. Uh, that's what, uh, one of the worries I have. If you're a teacher looking to enter the teaching profession now, is, is there a danger people would think that they wouldn't necessarily want to go into the teaching profession teaching liberal studies when you don't know if it will still be around in 10 years' time? Yes, uh, I think many of the students now, uh, many of them may be thinking about, ah, I want to become a teacher in the future, but now I think they'll think twice under the current political situation. Okay, a couple of questions. First of all, about the uh, you, you talked about the separation between the EDB and the edu- and the exam authority. Is that do you find that in other places, other places around the world, other similar jurisdictions, or is that kind of a speciality of Hong Kong and this region? Uh, I'm not. I'm not very familiar with uh, what's happening in mm. other countries, but in Hong Kong, that has been the system since the colonial days up to now, and we think that it's working fine. So why is the government uh, trying to uh, interfere into the uh, EAA business? It's 
well, they, they have... You can understand, well, sorry, why they might, because they, they, they say they that blundered. the DSE exam was set very badly this year. I, well, you might not agree with that, but that, that's their opinion. The DSE exam was set very badly. And they said, well, uh, you can't leave the exam authority by itself if it's making mistakes. Well, but whether or not the exam authority is making mistakes is, is a very interesting question. For example, the, the history DSE exam, we know that the EDB has been criticizing one of the questions, which most of the history teachers, uh, most of the people in the profession think that that question is okay. It's just the EDB is saying that it's biased or whatever. So what is actually the problem then? Okay, well, yeah, my, my other question would be about uh, values education. I mean, this is the, the task force talks a lot about uh, values education, which includes moral education, includes national uh, education. Is that, does that kind of pull in the other direction to liberal studies? Or, or um, you know, it, it, can we do both? Can we have both? Can you, was it a question of boosting one and playing down another? Actually, in liberal studies, we, uh, we uh, care very much about value education. That's an essential part of our curriculum because, if, well, we ask our students to make judgments, but very often in those judgments, they carry moral values, right? So uh, we emphasize a lot on value education, in fact, uh, in making the judgments by the students. And also about national education, actually, we teach a lot of positive things going on in China, right? We teach a lot of positive things about China, for example, the economic contributions and uh, uh, the help that China has been giving to the third world countries, the developing countries like the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, the granting of giving out uh, solar panels to help with a lot of African countries and so on. We have been talking about that. But at the same time, of course, we need to talk about the problems of mainland China right now, all right, so to, to give a balanced view. But that's, that's the part is that the government or maybe some people don't like. Okay. A couple of comments, uh, one from uh, A. Uh, who says, first, putting aside political vow, comparing to the past Hong Kong CE and Hong Kong AL uh, system, for these high school exam takers to have more than one compulsory subject will actually benefit students with a higher language ability, hence affecting their chances to go to the university. What we've seen is that more girls are going to university directly and some boys with better results in science-related or STEM subjects have to go for an alternative path. With a view to building a fairer exam system, uh, liberal studies should be a pass-or-fail subject and make it with a lesser weighting. Uh, that uh, thought. And a couple of uh, comments uh, finally uh, to end off the programme today from uh, Jay, who says, uh, in today's world, uh, kids have to learn liberal studies because many employment situation and education qualification dictates you can't qualify for job if application if you don't have liberal studies, whether it's relevant for your job or not. This also applies to the government. Why on earth does an engineer need to know the book about the government rule of law? That uh, comes from Jay. Uh, who also says, the supermarkets are a pathetic joke. We don't want discounts. We want the prices put down to original prices before discounts, which is another discussion for another day. In the meantime, Colin and I thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning, Executive Committee Member of the Hong Kong Professional Teachers Union, to uh, everyone who, who uh, emailed this morning. Thank you very much indeed, and thanks to you, Danny. Uh, back at 8.30 on Monday, how's the weekend looking? Well, sunny period today with a maximum temperature of about 31 degrees. Uh, it's outlook windy with a few showers over the weekend and more showers around early next week, I'm afraid. 28 degrees at the moment. The relative humidity is at 78%.
Hi, I'm Lazy Lion. To fight this pandemic, don't hold gatherings or join large-scale activities. Event organizers should adopt contingency measures to postpone or cancel events or temporarily close facilities. The public should avoid crowded places as far as possible. Don't host or join gatherings with family and friends. Find an open space to stretch. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. These are the tips for you and me to prevent COVID-19. 9.32, the news with Samantha Butler. NEGCO's Finance Committee is vetting the government's third round of anti-epidemic subsidies. Ahead of the meeting, pro-democracy lawmakers, including Council Front's Chu Hoidik and Wu Chi Wai from the Democratic Party, surrounded the Chief Secretary Matthew Jung as he arrived. They chanted slogans calling for the release of 12 Hong Kong activists in Shenzhen. The chief executive, Carrie Lam, says a new police policy to recognise only government-accredited journalists will give the media greater access, such as allowing them to report in cordoned-off areas. In a Facebook post, she said the government's news service was an objective and open platform. A new scientific analysis of the wildfires that have raged across the state of California this summer has revealed that climate change has had a marked effect on the impact and scale of the blazes. Researchers have found that the increasingly hot and dry conditions experienced in the state played a pervasive role. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven, as well. Oh, so shy, quiet, and retiring doggy counts, co founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is really for adults, it's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. The side of what's happening behind the lift. Good morning. In depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you. Welcome to Friday. This is The Morning Brew. I'm Phil Whelan. 10.10 today, we are off to San Francisco, where Chef Matt Dolan's going to be in his kitchen at 25 Lusk to actually cook breakfast for you. He promises you it's really easy and you can go away and do it. He's going to demo the all-time favourite New York breakfast sandwich. That'll be on Facebook Live, of course. As well as here on Radio 3 Steam after 11. Danny Hicks is back for this week's Sports and All. We do have a slant on F1 today. And as always, love to invite you to join in with your comments and ideas. That is after 11. And as always on a Friday... Just before this week's end credits, we're going to hear from our tame movie critic, James Marsh. He's got Greenland, Steel Rain 2, Enola Holmes, and The Long Way Up. Do join us on Facebook Live throughout. (laughs) 